Hey guys and welcome to the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, then we hope you enjoy today's episode. But what is this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creatives on the Surf Coast in Australia. Why do we do it? Well, we think the coast is a melting pot of creative minds from the city, the country and the coast and we wanted to get their stories out there. Each episode is packed full of insight and a good dose of practical hints and tips from our guests. Our guest today is a freelance photographer and videographer called Mike Guest. Yes, Guest. So Mike Guest is our guest. He's our first international guest and he joins us all the way from Edinburgh in Scotland. Mike includes Patagonia among his list of clientele and he's also the founder of the Dawn Days movement which went viral in 2020 after Corona hit. Look up hashtag Dawn Days of Winter to see more of Mike and other people's work from all over the UK and beyond. We cover a lot today, including the important topic of men's mental health and what it takes to make it as a photographer or videographer and all-round creative in the modern world. And just to give some context, it was 5am in Scotland and Friday 4pm here in Australia on the surf coast. So we thank Mike for making the commitment to get up early and make this happen today. So he's quite a character. Uh, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the podcast. Sadly, no, Jess, on today's podcast, we wanted this pod or this particular episode to be sort of a, a man-to-man chat. And Jess also had a prior commitment before we scheduled the episode. So no, Jess, but Ben and Mike is what you get. So hope you enjoy today's episode. Leave us a rating on iTunes after the episode or better yet, share the podcast with one friend. That would really help us out. Once again, this is episode number 38 of the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hucker. Enjoy. Well, it's a very warm or maybe cold welcome to our first international guest. Please welcome Mr. Mike Guest all the way from Edinburgh in Scotland. How's it going? Thanks very much. Yeah, it is actually quite chilly. I think we're maybe, we might be did double figures, like we might be hitting 10 degrees, so pretty pretty toasty for this time of year. <laughs> That's uh, 10 degrees, so it's actually a balmy day in Scotland, would you say? Oh yeah, man, I'm going to be totally slapping on the sunscreen, <laughs> get the shorts out, get my mankini on the go. <laughs> <laughs> Sun's out, guns out. We've got to get through our first segment on the on the podcast. Just uh, as I said in the intro, it's 5am where you are, so I really appreciate your time this morning. But let's crack on with our first segment called Breaking the Ice. It sounds like we will be breaking the ice in Scotland today. So this is uh, seven <laughs> questions just to get to know you a little bit better and introduce you to our audience. Tell are me. you ready, Mike? I am ready. Let's go. Question number one, fairly obvious. Where were you born? I was born in Edinburgh, born and bred in this fine town and in Scotland. It's actually one of my favourite cities in all of Europe. I lived in the UK for in London for two years. And I absolutely loved Edinburgh. It's my, it's my top three. Yeah, there's there's something about it. I'm biased. I was born here, but I've got the sea right in front of me. I've got Arthur's Seat, which is this kind of volcanic plug. And then you've got what's called the Pentlands on the, the edge of what we would call our bypass. And you can go lose yourself in all of these elements really quickly. You've got a lot of green space as well around you. It's a relatively hilly town, I say. You know, there's a lot to it. So... It's always kept me. I've spent 21 years traveling around for work and pleasure, but I'm always really happy to be back. And I'm really happy to be back here at the moment. Oh, it's a cool place. I'd love to go back there. So you got Edinburgh Castle there and I understand you live in Portobello, just for those who've been to Scotland before. Yeah, Portobello. So I guess traditionally it probably would have been a town in itself, but obviously with the way everything moves, it's amalgamated into Edinburgh. So yeah, for me, it's 10 minutes walk down to the beach or like a couple of minutes on my bike and there's no surf. It's really murky. 
there's sometimes sewage floating in there. I, God, I hope not. But it, there's a reality of these things happen. Um, but it's, you know, it's a lot better than it used to be. You know, our water quality is much better than back in the 80s. So it's been tidied up after or post Margaret Thatcher, is it? Well, yeah, it was actually a friend of mine, Sam Christofferson, was telling me we've got Surfers Against the Sewage, which is an amazing setup where they basically have been campaigning for years for water quality from a surface perspective, but ultimately for all water lovers. And they were getting out of certain spots down the coast from Edinburgh and they were literally covered in rashes, like ah. full on red. And they just went and stood, stood there with a massive jobby, as we call them, a massive sh- poo like something they'd made we're like look this isn't enough and and they managed to get you know uv water treatment integrated and a lot of the industrial waste further up the fourth because we sit in a huge estuary right so there's loads of different kind of topography or bathymetry i think as it's called with the sea going on so some places are super clear and some places just get everything dragged down to them so sam and his surf school and his pals did a a really good job at, at kind of sorting that out with surfers against sewage well that's good to hear so when you say no surf that means no surf whatsoever or can you get oh, a little man, two footer three footer occasionally you could like you could smash out on a boogie board i've ridden my log there like once i've kite surfed a bit but it just the way it is in this estuary like the swell window we've got that whole part of like norway and everything like there so with our swells like it just doesn't it just yeah. doesn't get in um so yeah, sometimes you just a oh, man. If I, if I had it there, oh, I'd be in, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say a southwesterly. That's that's offshore for you, isn't it? In Scotland, on the on the Edinburgh side of Scotland. Correct, and it is our one of our predominant winds is so so west. We um, we hate southwesterlies. Like that's that's onshore for us. That's um, so funny, isn't it? it? Makes for terrible surf. So we like we like the big westerlies or northwesterly or northeasterly. So. That's fine. Yeah, and I don't. Westerly is good for you guys. Yeah, yeah. I don't prescribe to that, like, onshore is the new offshore. I, like, couldn't <laughs> jump on a board if I tried. Like, you know, you can still have fun with the right craft, but you can't beat an offshore day, can you? No, not at all. It's a little bit choppy and onshore today, but at least there's a little bit of swell about. So we're pretty lucky. But born and bred Edinburgh, Scotland. Do you wear a kilt? Yeah. Uh, I do wear a kilt, um, although my name is Guest. My mother's clan was uh, Lamont, Lamont, which can often be mis, uh, mispronounced as Lamont, which is the French version of it. Um, and yeah, it's a lovely green, kind of like green and black. And I wear it oh. for weddings. Like, to be honest, most formal events. I'm not really a suit and tie kind of guy, but I'll put on a, a kilt and kind of a, a tatty old lumberjack shirt, which my mum shakes her head at still. And then that's probably a pair of trainers. That's about as smart as I get. <laughs> that's very cool. We might have to get a photo for our social feed for the stories. I, I think I could try and dig one out for you. <laughs> I Actually, that wasn't question number two. I just threw that in there. But question number two, your favorite activity to zone out. And I'm hazard a guess. So I know the answer. Yeah. You know what? Surf is one of them for sure. I absolutely love that. But. I am not afforded the luxury to have that always on my doorstep with the way that our coastline is and also something with my work when I'm away. So I'm actually going to say that one of the best things for me is a bath, um, bath. which is kind I, of I a luxury. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So like if I'm on tour, I'm away, 
and there's a bath or something like if I if I'd have a full on day, my back's feeling it, my mind's feeling it. Like I can just zone out in a bath. Like any board, I'm learning that any body of water can kind of help me out. Even a shower is amazing, but there's just something about zero gravity floating. So if I can get it, it's surf. But if I can't, like, and there's a bath there, oh, I'm super happy. That's cool. And I bet you have it hot too. Mm. To the point where it's like, wow, am I going to have kids after this? <laughs> <laughs> Basically boiling the water from the kettle and putting it in there, I imagine. <laughs> as good as. Actually, funny you mentioned baths. I've actually have a, started having baths recently. I've, I had my first bath. We bought a new house here on the surf coast well, last year. It's got a really good bath and we don't have kids yet, so it doesn't get used. And I thought, well, it's got to get used. So I had a bath last year and I've been having one probably twice a month. I love it. Absolutely love oh, it. Nice. So I can kind of relate to where you're coming from. I think it's about like all these, we can talk about this later, but it's like these small things. Like you want to be in the ocean, but you can't be in the ocean. Yeah. I'm not recreating the ocean and imagine I'm surfing in a bass <laughs> with like rubber ducks, but like just finding that peace and calm floating in a body of water. We're made up, you know, we all talk about this. We're made up like 85% yeah. or whatever it is potentially down to 65 when we get old, which is like pretty worrying that you shrivel that much, but it being in the water, just, it kind of does it for me. And I think, medically and psychologically i don't know so much about it but i know there's a lot of great benefits especially before bed yeah that is very cool we we've ne- no one has ever mentioned that as their favorite activity so that's a good one <laughs> but question number three full-time or part-time creative i am a full-time image maker yeah i'm mad for it it's what i do in my pastime it's what i do for work and um, you know, it's a split of photography and film for me, depending on my mood and I guess the way that work rolls in and what I'm chasing or what's chasing me. You have a career of 20 plus years, then you can get to the point where people start chasing you. Yeah, probably to clarify on the, the career, I'm probably on, am I on Mike 5.0? I don't quite know when it comes <laughs> to work. Like a quick thing was like, started off as a chef. Oh, in fact was living very near you working as an outdoor education assistant uh in a little part of Oz and then was a chef and then I stopped that and I kind of got into events and spent about 12 years working in events doing lighting sound video power generation for festivals bar mitzvahs rock and roll weddings you name it everything you know and I and I kind of went all the way through to working in projection and then started playing with cameras you know, which I'd been playing with. And then we kind of was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then was so sick of that industry. Lots of amazing people, but just over it. Went to New Zealand. My sister lives over there, has done for 20 years. Went and waxed skis in a little shop at night, skied during the day and picked up a camera. And that was 10 years ago. Oh, only 10 years ago. So that's yeah. fairly recent. If we're talking in, a, in, in terms of decades. Well, that's cool. Can you just for our listeners, whereabouts in Australia did you work? Oh, yeah. So I was working at a school. It was like Melton Mowbray College. It was Melton. like between, yeah, Bacchus Marsh and so the, the School of Hard Knocks. Man, like it was an experience. I'm like 18 years old. I'm on a plane <laughs> going to Australia. I managed to nail this job. I've saved my ass off because I've left school early and I've been working in a kitchen. I've got my flight. I'm heading over. I mean, I think it was on like 50 bucks 
a week or something. That sounds like and, good money back in yeah 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 <laughs> back back in the day, and then <laughs> and it was it was an amazing experience because like I didn't know what I was going to. I really hadn't paid attention, mm. and when I turned up and the first day I got picked up, this Ute pulls up like a kind of like rusty brown colored you with troubles wrecking yard in it and i was like <laughs> wow and this dude walks out with a beard this guy gray a massive smile and he's like ah you're the scottish one that's gonna live with us it's like oh you're my homestay and he's like yeah i'm graham how's it going it's like wow here we go <laughs> i bet you're pretty excited at this point oh man it was just like <laughs> this is awesome <laughs> troubles Troubles Wrecking Yard, did it say? Troubles Wrecking Yard. Graham McCarty, what a guy, man. Like, um, Greek, Scottish, and I believe, if I get it right, or his wife was Greek. And he hadn't hadn't had a son. He had, like, two daughters, two awesome daughters. Oh, right. And I guess it was kind of like, he was like, like, adopt. It was like, adopt a Scott. Um, <laughs> so, like, I'm, like, nine, 18. And at the weekends, we'd be, like, grabbing yabbies out of his yabbies um, so he like, took you yabbying yeah di- the ditches he had we'd be yeah. like you know dealing with the mixy rabbit situation we had like a little fire we cooked our potatoes we ate yabbies and i was like this is awesome like <laughs> i could never have imagined i'd be doing this like a scottish kid randomly like hanging about in the outback <laughs> hey do you still keep in touch or do you yeah every so often i kind of lost yeah. contact with him and and this has reminded me I, I literally googled you guys and i was like oh that's where you're at and i was like man i've not spoken to graham in like eight years so yeah we're not far from elton we're probably an hour from elton hour and 20 it's basically directly north so not far but yeah the surf coast torquay did you make it to torquay i didn't you know like basically our weeks were like monday to friday we were away on camp so we were taking kids to these remote camps. So they would like, they would get this as part of their, like their year. Like I, I can't remember which years it was. And so it was like me, a Canadian girl called Jen, a French guy, Matthew and someone else, an English fella. And it was mental. Like there was one Aussie ultimately on these camps and we're sort of teaching <laughs> kids how to go into the Aussie bush. Like, meanwhile, we're all like in the evening going, Oh my God, did you see that snake? <laughs> Holy crap. I think there's loads of stuff that can kill us. Like, what do we do? You know, I was gripped for like a month at first, just being like, oh my God, this is so different from home. <laughs> so tiger snakes, brown snakes, even kangaroos oh, can get a little, a little bit territorial and a, a little bit aggressive sometimes too. Yeah. And I was living in a tent Monday to <laughs> Friday, you know, like, cause we were teaching these kids to camp and then I think, and cooking for them and, and teaching them to cook. It was like one of those things where you're like, wow, how did I end <laughs> up here? <laughs> That does sound nuts. Well, as an ocean photographer now, cinematographer, I hope you can make it back to Torquay some days. Yeah, I really want to. I've got some great friends in Tassie, a mountain guide pal of mine that lives down there that that travels about. And and one of my best pals, James Parry, who's living up near Nusaway, who's a a longboarder, um, and his partner Paige and their wee kid, Zenner. Um, James is a great friend. Like We've done some films together. We met on a shoot, and it was just one of those bromances where you're like, I like you. You're good. It was You're love cool. at first sight. I, oh man, I was just like James <laughs> Parry. I'm like he's like such an awesome longboarder, but he's also an amazing photographer. Really worth a guy worth talking to. Um, and you know his photography and his surfing are just beautiful. And working with someone that's also a photographer that has an eye, yep. you know, 
there's another level of perception and understanding of what they're doing you yeah. know and when you're working together it's just like he's like he just give me hand movements or hey just get in there a bit i'm gonna try this you know and it was like it was seamless it was you know it was ultimately a complete collaboration it wasn't like i am the filmmaker it was just like me and james on a trip pals making some films that sounds cool what's his last name again james um, james parry james parry we'll look him up on james Instagram. parry yeah if you google him james parry longboarder vans you'll, you'll pick him up that sounds cool we'll look into that and uh you're just talking about camping before question number four are you a camper or glamper so yeah you're familiar with uh, the phrase glamping aren't you i think so like is it like posh camping or something? Yeah, posh camping. Uh, you know, I mean, bad. I'm a dirt bag in a posh van. Maybe <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I suppose, you know, I love going camping. I love bivy. I love my bivy bag. Like I'll go on remote yeah. trips and take a little stove and just lose myself when I can in the wilderness uh, or in the, in the mountains by a beach. Um, but I live and work out of this thing. It's it's a very functional. Oh, I see you're um, in a van right van. now. I didn't oh, know sorry. Yeah. Van. I'm I'm in my van because it's sonically the best place to do podcasts because yeah. my flat is an old I live in an old school and the ceiling's super high so it literally sounds like I'm shouting in the tin can. Yeah, it's it actually, the audio is coming through really clear. I was thinking you're in some sort of pod studio or in, oh. the, in the basement or something. Well, basically it's ply lined and it's wrapped with fabric. No wood lining, none of that nonsense because it's heavy and it doesn't sound good and it's cold in my opinion. So I've just got carpet on the walls, a ton of insulation. I've got a diesel heater, water tank. I've got a full oven. Um, it's pretty sweet. Actually, one of our most popular episodes to date was an interview with Built for Adventure. They make and convert vans for a living. And just oh, nice. such a popular episode. So we get, we get a lot of van lifers tuning in. Well, I will try and get you some photos of it. It's it's pretty functional. It can house behind me, which you can see is a nine foot eight longboard, which is actually James's uh, original bro uh, Bing Pro model that I bought off him before he left Australia, which was pretty exciting. And then I can fit other boards down the side. I can get my pelly cases in, C stands. You know, it's it's really functional. It's uh, it's comfy, but it's very minimal in that sense because. It, for me, it's it's kind of like I do work out of this a lot, especially recently with, with the pandemic. I was able to get some tests to isolate and then I was able to to move around certain parts of Scotland doing some jobs that needed done um, and and kind of live out of this, which which I'd never imagined that would be the case. Yeah, that's cool. I'm keen to hear a bit more about the van. And it sounds like a little bit of time in isolation and spending a lot of time on your own out on the coast. So question number five to keep your company your favorite tv series um it's funny i'm not a massive tv guy i have little binges i in fact don't have a tv at the house but obviously there's so much online um something that i loved was peaky blinders oh cool um, it's yep. a netflix series i'm not one to really like a lot of violent stuff like i'm always looking for you know chilled out fluffy unicorns <laughs> <laughs> like I don't really want to fill my head full of bad thoughts or or that. Yeah. But for me, cinematically storyline, the characters, you know, just the whole look, the grade, it was yeah. just, it was unbelievable. And, and I would guess I would say the same with Breaking Bad it was so interesting. Oh, just watching that, that as well. Yeah. Man, watch watch the way that color changes. Right. Yeah. There's a really interesting way that they use color grading mm. to 
emphasize certain moments and it was it was a greater friend of mine that i sat down with and he's like have you watched this i was like no he's like this is going to burst your mind it's it's so well done yeah picky blinders was magic we watched that last year we watched it in about three days and we were sad because it was gone pretty violent but oh same great storyline gangsters in in the uk god i have gotten it's a bit further north wasn't it from london so that they ended up in london yeah i can't quite remember but it's yeah no it's it's fantastic i I sort of try to not consume too much, yep. which is quite difficult, like to try and keep the mind a bit fresh. And also like, I'll be completely honest to not um, give myself the temptation to rate myself against other people, you know, like that's a big yeah. process that's happened for me. And it's, it's so hard because what we're doing is we're creating content for these platforms and it's this double-edged sword a lot of the time where you're like, you don't want to be sucked into it, but you feel you have to be. And then, you know, art directors, creative directors are like, Oh, we checked out your Instagram. And you're like, fuck, really? Like, and that's the deal. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to give myself a hard time about that. And whatever I put out there these days, you know, last May I was like, right, I'm going to, I am going to try and give it as much of a voice. Like this is guesty. That's my nickname, you know, what you see is what you get as much as possible. And that's why I've decided to be so open and honest online. Yeah. It's a good point on comparison and looking at other people's work and comparing yourself. Like comparison is the thief of happiness, isn't it? That's what they say. And actually I noticed a lot of photographers, cinematographers and other creatives, they compare themselves or they actually, they build a community around their peers rather than sort of, you know, the consumer and the people that actually want to consume their content, they end up comparing themselves to all these international photographers and thinking, oh, my work's not that great. When it's amazing compared to Joe Blow on the street who might actually want to buy one of your prints or consume one of your videos. Yeah. Oh man, that's so well put. Like, and I think you're, you're, you're totally right there. And I think the term they've used for that, I remember listening to a BBC radio program once and I was like sat in a rock, surf was awful and I'd like stuck it on. And we're talking about echo chambers, you know, like we create our own echo chamber. We've always had that with the friends that are around us. Then we add in these devices and we add in the algorithms, but we feed them what we want to see by liking things, by sharing things. Mm. So like learning to bust yourself out of your own echo chamber, like making sure that you like and try and consume uh, other things or just don't consume it, you know, like use it as the work tool. Remember it's there for inspiration and and not to give you anxiety because anxiety, jealousy, like all of that stuff, they are just toxic. And I, I poisoned myself with that last year, you know, with, with a lot of things that went on. And that's that. This is my constant journey to, to work out how to, to stop doing that, you know, or as much as I can. Yeah, Jess and I had a, a few issues with social media late last year. We kind of got obsessed with it a little bit with the podcast and it was growing and it was all fun and exciting. But now we've actually, we've dedicated an allocated time slot per day to actually engage directly with uh, new followers, hopefully to the podcast and our existing audience. And, you know, rather than scrolling aimlessly and liking and all the rest, we actually directly engage and comment and it's so much more fun. And our following is building on, on the back of it. So yeah it's self-restraint you know it's like it's something that's incredibly hard as humans and you know i'm not gonna 
bag all these devices because they are super useful, but mm. it is all built to suck us in. Like, I don't know if anyone knows this, but there's a, there's a function, say on the iPhone and probably on other ones, you can turn it to grayscale. You know, the yeah. reason you go to Instagram is those colors, they probably spent millions sucking you in with the right colors. And that's fine. But like, for me, it's like when I want to focus, it's like, boom, turn that off, leave it. You know, yep. I still get sucked in and like yeah. the endless scroll. But just being aware of that, that's, that's really cool to hear you guys have got that kind of business hours. That's that's what yeah. I'm starting to do as well. Yeah, it's definitely well worthwhile doing. So 30 minutes a day we allocate. And I think that's how we found you, just by directly engaging on different hashtags and the rest. So I'm glad yeah. we did it. But uh, well, that was interesting. So question number six, Actually, this question is, where's, where's the first place you go for coffee and Torquay? Obviously, let's talk about Torquay in, in the UK. <laughs> yeah, so I've actually was, I Googled, the first thing I got was Torquay, England. I was like, oh yeah, there's a Torquay in England. And then I was like actually Googling for coffee shops, but I got caught out of time because I was going to be like, well, actually, um, I really love this place, but I didn't find anything. I, You know what? I've I've stopped drinking so much coffee. Like my friend runs a coffee roastery and... Last May, when the pandemic hit, I actually ended up going and working for him. I used to do, or I do their photography and film stuff. And he'd furloughed everyone and was like, can you just come in and help? I was like, yeah, man. Like, He's like, I want to save the business. Can you pack coffee? And I was like, cool, no worries. Three days in, I'd had like two coffees a day, super strong. I was like, oh, I can't, Steve. He's like, and we're in this roaster with unbelievable coffee and I, I was like the smell of it I was pinging at the end of the day so yeah <laughs> I love it but yeah I, I only use I say you use coffee I try to use it before exercise um yep. not before shoots or when I'm potential there's a potential for me to be anxious or, or anything like that I'm mm. trying to reassess my relationship with it but I love the taste and the smell of it and I do love that buzz you get yeah, well, maybe we just give a shout out to your friend. So that he's based in Edinburgh, is he? Yeah, and, and they're called Machina Coffee. It's a friend of mine called Steve. Yeah, check them out. They've got gorgeous stuff. They sell beautiful machines. They're doing like really interesting stuff. He's he's quite a scientist almost with the way they do it. Yep. You know, it's not, um, it's very different from maybe what's trendy at the moment. But yeah, a great friend of mine. Um, and um, he's just a hilarious dude. So we we had a good time in a dark time. That actually just reminded me of when they made coffee in Breaking Bad because he's a chemist and all, and they end up oh, just yeah. making this perfect coffee in addition to their illegal drug trade. <laughs> <laughs> Machine of coffee if you're ever in Edinburgh, if we can ever travel someday again. But uh, question number seven, were you busy during COVID or flat? Yeah, so I was away on tour with Patagonia at the time on their Warnware tour, which is the repair program that they run globally. It was started in kind of January, oh no, February. And as the pandemic started to hit and borders started to close, you know, we got a call from the head office one day and we've been talking about it and they were like, it's time to go. So we pulled the pin and literally like, I, it was like email after email, text after text, hey, sorry, like, shoots canceled, da, 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 you know, stuff down the line. And my whole year just went, boop, 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 boop. it's like, oh. So that first month was just this desert, you know, like nothing there, nothing on the horizon, nothing on the future. Um, and, and I really struggled. Out of that, you know, I started working for Steve at the roastery. 
um, when I could, I was starting to do other bits and bobs and just hustling. And as a lot of creatives, I guess, as people would call us that make these things, I've always been quite resourceful. So I was scratching my head once I got myself together and of of better sound mind and peace and calm to just work out what I could do, you know, and, and, and ultimately happy to do anything. You know, I've grafted my whole life, you know, I've worked since I was 17 so I'm not afraid to turn my hand to anything else because I know photography is the thing that I want to carry on with. But I think it was great for me to do something else. I really, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed that time, although it's been super hard and really crap for a lot of people because everyone's out of work. You know, when you get your hustle on, you 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 can survive sometimes, you know? Yeah, that's oh, that's really inspiring, actually, from a, a fellow creative. Like Jess and I both lost our full-time jobs in the wake of Corona. And you're right, that domino effect, you know, a packed calendar for the full year and then next minute, nothing. So it was a really, really difficult year and actually a good segue. Thanks also for participating in our first segment, Breaking the Ice. Did you, did you enjoy that? Yeah, that's cool. That was fun. I probably <laughs> blethered on a lot. You probably just have to wave at me. I'm, I, I like a good chat, me. Are you Scottish, typical Scottish. Breaking the ice out of the way, and you just spoke briefly there about Corona and some of the challenges. So a good segue into the Dawn Days project, which is, would you say it went viral last year? And I gave a, a little brief sort of snippet in, in our intro. Do you want to give us the background to that story and the Dawn Days movement and where that all began? Do you call it a yeah, movement? Well, I don't really know what to call it. I, I'm not a massive fan in general of pigeonholing and mainly that's I don't want to pigeonhole myself um, to then stick myself in a box or make myself think I need to follow something so something has happened this this dawn days thing has kicked off and and what kind of happened was so I started there was on tour with Patagonia and sent home like go back you know I'm in Austria at the time we had to get to Chamonix drop off the vehicle truck get into an airport, full mask pandemic thing hitting, what is going on? Fly to Amsterdam where my van was parked, get dropped off by the crew at a farm to pick up the van at the storage. And the next thing I'm sitting in front of a boat waiting to go back to Newcastle in England to then go home. And, you know, it was just 48 hours or 72 hours of just boom, 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 boom. And I got outside my flat. And I was like, oh, my friend's in there. I'd lent my flat to a friend of mine who just needed a bit of a break and needed a bit of a chain. And I was going to be away for four to six months and I let him use my place. And I thought, wow, I can't come back in. I might be a super spreader. Um, I need my own space. And so I shipped off up North at the time when that was still kind of cool. And I got shopping delivered, fueled up, you know, and I was just, I was just going to go hide in the van and, and try and work it all out. And then the government, we're like, you know, please don't isolate in your campers. You know, the feeling was was okay with some people and not with others. And, you know, that internal radar and respect just went, man, you got to go home and spoke to my friend, got him to move out. And that was it. Found myself in my flat on my own with this world of emotions. And I just felt like I was in a tornado of, of feelings. And I picked up the phone to a friend, Nick um, Pumphrey, who's the fellow that kind of inspired me to do the dawn days. He said, look, first of May, three days, I'm going to paddle out or I'm going to swim out with my camera at the blue hour. So that hour before dawn, before 
it cracks. It's kind of like the nautical dawn. And I'm going to take some photos, man. I'm going to get in the water. I can do it. I'm right here. I can just go waist deep. You know, it's safe. And I thought, yeah, man, I'm with you. I want to do it. I've never swam out. I've gone around the world with a water housing. I've never swam out in that body of water right in front of me. And I was hooked from the first moment in the sense that I was captivated, captivated about how it all changed. So, you know, I would go in, film, take photos, realizing the setup I had was amazing for video. And me and Nick would go back and forth chatting and this momentum built around it in our own little echo chambers. And then it bled out into other echo chambers around the world to other people. And, you know, it's not like some global sensation, but we had this lovely feeling that what we were doing was a, a really nice way to connect to some of those friends and family and some of theirs. And for the people that couldn't get to the water, is there a way that we can digitally emulate that feeling? Not mm. completely, but it looks like we can slightly. So that's how Dawn Days was built. It was like this conversation with Nick and we started doing it and, and our pal Warby or Nick's pal Warby, like I still never met Warby in person. Oh, um, really? Yeah, you know, it's like, we're still that far apart. I've spent a lot of time in Cornwall, but we've, we've never crossed paths. And he yeah. joined in. Then Greg made the film uh, Be There, Be Present for Nick. And now me and Greg are like in constant contact about some more projects and this thing built. And and then it kind of laid, laid out. The pandemic chilled out for a bit as it were. Summer came. We moved through. We were chatting. And then it was like New Year, another lockdown in the UK coming. And it was like simultaneous with me and um, Nick, where it was like, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? He's like, yeah, I'm going to swim out again. And I was in a better place. And so, you know, down the line, it's grown into something bigger. We'd have 50 to 60 people swim out. Um, oh, really? So that many people? Yeah, throughout the UK. Not every day, but like from the yeah. islands, like from Shetland, all yeah. the way down to, to, to Cornwall. And like, there's one girl, and I, I think it's Hannah. I forget her name every time. I'm so sorry. She went out in her like in her swimming gear and not in a wetsuit and was filming. <laughs> You're kidding. And I only, I was like, holy crap, woman. That is unbelievable. What sort of water temperature are we talking? Oh man, like Ireland, it's bitter. It's like here, man. You could be like four degrees Celsius. Oh, oh God. You know, so it's the full cold immersion. So to, to rewind back, so we're back in May. I'm doing this project and simultaneously, I'm doing some act therapy, action commitment therapy with this lovely woman called Helen. You know, I've decided to talk to someone. I've been talking to my friends yeah. and one of, one of my great surf buddies who kind of taught me to surf, um, Lewis Pettit, um, is a psychologist. And I said, dude, I, I kind of need to talk to someone. He's like, yeah. Remember, it's, it's like coaching for the mind. I'm like, oh yeah. You know, like, why not? And he said, I think this act therapy thing could be on for you. So action commitment therapy. And it's like, to simplify something it's ultimately allowing you and teaching you giving you tools to not weld yourself to those weld yourself to those bad thoughts and feelings and emotions how can you see them from a perspective you know and not let it come in and affect you so you know dawn days was this committed action that i was taking and i didn't realize i was doing it until i spoke to helen a couple weeks down the line and she's laughing she's like you're doing what i told you i was like am i Oh, oh cool um so that's and so i think i've heard that before so act action act, yeah. i'm trying to think where i've read i think it's the happiness project is it of one of those books? Oh, the happiness trap happiness that's trap that's it 
Yeah, he's the guy that kind of like pioneered it. And then ultimately it is an accepted form of therapy as such in, in sort of national health boards around the world. And it's it pulls on the might it pulls on the slightly more Eastern philosophies would be the best way to put it. Yep. And it puts that into context and into a container that's potentially easier for people in the West to understand because yeah. you can look at the East and a lot of people use that term. It's a bit woo woo. Yeah. Like I love woo woo. Like I'm into that. Like I, I now work with a, a lady called Jana Johnston, who's a, um, a Tantra yogic practitioner as such. And it's like, she's just ultimately teaching you how to have stability and love for yourself inside and to calm yourself, to, to have some things that you can use during the day, not just I'm going to meditate I'm going to be mindful. Like how can you do that all the way through the day? So I was unknowingly doing that. And then once I knew what I was doing, I could develop on that and really sink into that, make an effort of that. And then going out, having this presence and time in the morning, like I was going out at three 30 in the morning, like Mm. it gets really light really early with us. And there was no one out. There was just this police car that would do this like check, you know, along the promenade they would drive across so if you imagine my beach as a promenade that you could drive along if you're a police car it's got groins as we call them that go out to keep the sand in shape and i would see this police car just like cruising past in you know and a couple weeks in i went to chat to them and said don't worry it's all good (laughs) i'm not totally mental i'm not you know um it's fine they're like oh okay you're doing that they're looking at me like i imagine they would have been quite suspicious in terms of dawn days, so you went out there, started posting images. You come up with the hashtag. I think it's dawn days of winter. Is that the right hashtag? Well, well, yeah. It's just dawn. We kind of were just dawn days. Dawn days of winter evolved this winter, but ultimately, probably to keep it safe, we'll, safe, we'll just keep it safe. Uh, yep. Simple. We'll just keep with dawn days. Dawn days, and so built up a bit of a following. When did it sort of? When did it start to really take off? Did you get any Aussies or anyone from North America? Sort of tuning in. You know what? Yeah, James Parry went out a couple of times actually um, yeah. this January, but there was a little bit of international interest, but it stayed very uh, in the UK waters, you know, and the islands and over in Ireland um, as well. So yeah. we're kind of segueing at the moment. I've put a little team together to do a book, um, which I wanted, I'd like to encompass as many of the people that got involved and try and sculpt a coffee table style book. That's going to be a non-profit situation. Um, Profits all go into a blue mental health charity. Um, And I've just scratched the surface of that. Um, My wonderful assistant, Millie has been trolling through Instagram, finding everyone that's done it. Uh, My pal, Adam in Norway, Scottish lad I surf with, he's kind of my photo editor for this. So he's looking at the stories, looking at the photos, pulling it together. And then we've got Barry over in BC, another Scottish lad who's a great friend, wonderful designer. And he's going to help us pull the book together. Yeah, that sounds cool. When when is that expected to be published? Oh, very good point. (laughs) I haven't a clue. We're literally starting, but we're going to start setting some deadlines and a vision of how to put that out. And yeah. for me, it's like, I would also like to, to to dive deeper with the effects that it had on people. Because some of the messages that me, Nick and Greg and Warby have had from people about what the music has done on films, what the image has done for them, how they looked forward to seeing that. <clears throat> I want to dive into that deeper again and find out more. So myself and Greg are looking at something longer form 
and this book will allow us to connect with the community to understand what's going on to do some pre-production really <clears throat> and then move from that into potentially something longer um maybe a little little dawn days doc would be kind of cool yeah i'd love to see a documentary and actually looking forward to seeing the book as well you sent through a dropbox folder of images just in the lead up to the podcast and some of those images are just so spectacular so i can't wait to share some of those with with our audience next week and in the lead up to this podcast it's brilliant i think an interesting point to maybe talk to some of your listeners that are out there that are shooting and like I, I can get quite anxious when it comes to surf photography, like mm. secret spots, um, all the, the, you know, the, the, the ethics behind it, yeah. the fact you're in there. I love being in there, loving in the power of the wave. I love that moment when someone paddles back out. That's the picture for me when they paddle back out and their faith, face is just lit up. Yep. Anything that they're thinking about is gone. They are just in the zone, in the flow, whatever word you want to use. And <clears throat> that's the kind of magic for me. I love that surf shot, but to me, that means more. So I think what Dawn Days has done for me is it's really challenged me to take this camera out and not just focus on super pin sharp yep. surf action or waves. It's like, what else can I do? How else can I do it? Drag the shutter, going to put on mental filters. I'm going to smash a filter with a hammer and stick it in and see what the light does to that. You know, I'm going to rub Vaseline on an old filter or you know like oh, so experimenting think, oh massively and and you know there's a guy called chris mclean you must check out his work he is awesome i love chris's work he is like the king of exploration and he yeah. he was talking to me about that how you know he he travels around the world doing docs he's docos filming you photos his work is just stunning and he had never swam out in front of his and he's taken like old vintage lenses and set in the focus, you know, he's got everything from a Fuji X-T3 to a red dragon to be able to take in the water and, you know, go and experiment. And that's what I've learned. I'm actually going to take that advice on board because I get paranoid as well about perfectionism and everything, everything sharp and in focused and sort of dreamy and the clean lens. And it's actually stopped me, I think, from getting out. I actually bought a water housing for my camera late last year off a prominent surf photographer here on the coast. And I've used it probably three or four times just because, well, I love surfing as well, just another conflict. But yeah, it's better just to get out there and do it and make it happen, isn't it? Yeah, you've totally nailed it there, man. Like, relieve yourself of the stress of creating some epic image or, you know, go out there, be yourself, get in the rhythm of mother nature. Like let's get a little bit, let's get a bit woo woo here. Like just get in the ocean, bob around, you know, be safe, but just feel it. Like see yeah. what you're getting and, and get up at that super early time. If you can, you know, like not everyone's a dawn person, but I'm pretty sure you'll find some gold there. And even when it's like crappy weather, if people look, go and have a look at the work that me and Nick done, you, you find a way around it. You know, you see the street lights, you turn around and it's like, oh, the street lights playing off the water. Or I take in like um, a waterproof LED and like literally throw it around. Like I think people were like, what is this lunatic up to? And I'm like <laughs> lobbing this one foot light with a drag shutter at a tenth of a second, you know, like, like I don't know what else to do. Like, and then I'm floating around. Like if you're not feeling it, don't bother. That's, I think it's such good advice. And 
especially here on the south, in the, in the, on the surf coast, sunrise or dawn is the best time to be up and in the water because the sun comes up uh, from the east, obviously, and it's just magic. And when it sets in the west, it kind of tucks behind the mountains and the hills down here. So uh, not quite yeah. as good, but sunrise is just magic. There's something like backlit waves being yeah. in there. Like I can often not take any footage and I'm just spacing out watching it. A big thing for me with Dawn Days was very much video um, and dude film stuff for it. But the music is huge for me. It's it's yep. it's a 50-50. If anything, it's more. I will say that. Like that drives me. So a guy lives beside me, a friend of mine called Barry. He made like 80% of the music for the Dawn Days of May. Um, it was either old stuff he had or he would just get on a synthesizer like after a couple beers or a cup of tea in the morning, depending what time of day it was. And he would make stuff and he would just put it into Dropbox. And sometimes he would tell me and sometimes he wouldn't. And I'd see a notification and it'd be like 3 a.m. I'd be lying on the floor, a cup of tea, just listening to this thinking, oh yeah. So I I love that mix of the two. I I find it kind of hypnotic and mesmerizing myself. So that's why I just started putting it out to the world. I'm like, maybe other people will dig this. Oh, it was such cool music, and it's one of the things that really stood out for me when I first watched the Dawn Days when you sent it through. Just the music, it just draws you in. It- yeah, and, and like, you know, tying it back to that sense of COVID, is like Barry, we've known each other for years. He does everything from, you know, mixes the radio over in Glasgow for the, the BBC Scotland morning show to doing huge bands. You know, he's got a little voice recording studio downstairs in the flat he's super busy the whole time and he he had stopped with the music a bit and he's got this amazing wealth of stuff but also talent and so man we were just vibing off each other it was yeah. like it's like a, it's a dream to do that but there were also other musicians that i reached out to like i'm lucky that i spent a lot of time within the music world and um, within the scottish folk scene and in in other parts and there's a wonderful woman called um julie Fowlis. there's a track i can't remember the day that I used it on and it's about Selkies. And when I heard it the first time, it actually made me cry. It was so powerful. And I didn't realize it was about Selkies. And I asked her if I could use it. And she's like, oh, you're funny. That's, <laughs> that's this. I was like, no way. And, and so the Selkie thing, let's, we'll touch on that touch is that the Selkie is a seal. Yeah. Now the Selkie is the Gaelic name, but there's, there's myth and there's myth of half fish, half man, half fish, half woman, mermaids, all that all around the world there's it, it's in so many cultures if you start looking and for us it's this thing where it's like i think i liken myself to seals or i have been likened to seals you know my mate barry calls me selkie boy you know and um you know they're kind of the dogs of the sea they're a little bit feral mm. to use an aussie word you know i'm a little bit rough around <laughs> the edges you know um but there's this thing of being in the sea and out the sea and the split personalities that we have. There's so many ways you can go down this. Um, yeah. But I love that. I love the idea of that. And I love that it's cool and it's okay. I can go and be Selkie boy. But when yeah. I come out, I can keep that energy and that feeling and that movement and that connection to nature when I'm out, you know, like I can think back to it or it's just kind of in me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd, I, I can tell you now, I'd much rather see a seal than a, a great white or a tiger shark or some of the stuff we see down oh. south. Probably a good segue into some of the wildlife and the conditions compared to, uh, have you done ocean photography down south, uh, the Southern Ocean? and um, So like most tropical place I've been would be 
Indonesia. Yep. I've got a great friend of mine, Scottish pal of mine, is a boat captain, tour leader in like the Mentawise and stuff. Amazing kid. I'm going to share some stuff with you called Nick Law, like spear fisherman chasing 40 kg plus tuna to captaining boats around the, the Indonesian archipelagos. I made a film with him, um, kind of a spear fishing, kind of like little drifty adventure that we went on over there. So that's probably the most tropical place I've ever been actually and I didn't know what to do like I wasn't in a wetsuit there was sharp coral it was I was a fish out of water to use a bit of a corny term like I was just <laughs> I got kicking and that coral in Indonesia is killer too I had a little spike in Bali when I was surfing at Changu and my foot I thought nothing of it. it was just a little scratch I thought you know whatever and the locals, I know this now, they, they're onto it straight away. They get a squeeze of lemon juice and put it on and um, make sure it's healed up properly. My foot blew up like an elephant elephant foot. Yeah. And I, I went to the doctors and they had that look on their face as if to say, you know, it kind of, I was over there having a lark, you know, backpacking around, around Indonesia and having fun and the look on that doctor's face, I'll never forget it. It's like I was towing the line. I was... Oh probably a couple of days away from getting the thing amputated. It was that bad. Wow. So you've got to be super careful. You do, yeah. It's it's really challenging conditions. You know, like I wear dive gloves with a merino liner that's like sealed. Um, I go down to the beach with a hot water bottle on my feet and on my hands to get them up to the, the right height or heat so that I don't lose it because when you lose it, then – oh, you've got those hot aches afterwards, which is like someone's literally burnt your hand. So not to sound like woe is me, but it can be kind of full on um, yeah, filming in winter. It sounds like a different set of conditions, still challenging, like as opposed to a big five foot, six foot set coming through, rolling through, you're actually dealing with the cold weather and darkness and a few other things that we probably don't experience as much. Yeah, and, and there's like... Uh, a big inspiration for me, I think, would be uh, Mickey Smith, The Dark Side of the Lens. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, no. It was a classic kind of piece where it was like, whoa, you know, it came out of Ireland. He's Cornish. And he just put this really like soulful piece together. And it was also for all of us that live in these parts of the world. You're like, yes, that's what it's like. It's not crystal clean barrels. You know, mm. it's raw. It's green. It's dirty. It's dark. It's raining. And Mickey did a gorgeous way of doing that. And now there's an amazing scene over in the West Coast of Ireland as a, um, there and there's some seriously big waves getting ridden. And the water over in Ireland is like, like for us in Scotland, that, that green. Yeah. And it's actually, we posted amazing. a photo in the lead up to this episode of quite a large barrel in Ireland, I think it was. And yeah, that green, just so distinct. Yeah. Yeah, and that was like one of those days when the sun actually came out because those guys and girls are out surfing that thing in some pretty horrendous conditions, like full-on windy gales almost under this cliff. And when you get those moments, that was a brilliant day. And it was so cool to capture Tom Lowe, who's the surfer in that, you know, paddling in to this actually, I noticed, big wave. Like, I looked up Tom's profile. He's actually followed by a couple of people that we've had on the podcast so i'm sure the guys that are tuning into the this episode will be familiar with some of his work oh good it's uh mike 
we touched on mental health there before for men. Just before, I want to wrap up with a bit of a chat about mental health for men. It's such an important topic, especially after Corona, yeah. especially for, for us blokes as well. But uh, you got a gig at Patagonia. Do you just want to take us through how you got to go about getting a gig with someone like Patagonia, such a massive brand, and yeah, that- still do some work for them? Yeah, that was a funny one. Um, I was up north in Scotland um, surfing. It was my friend Lewis's dag do, which just literally involved four of us surfing. We hardly drank anything because we were so exhausted. Um, And then the boys left and I had a shoot cancelled and I just thought, well, I'm here. There's not much point going home. So I stayed up and I randomly put something up on Instagram with a bunch of wetsuit boots and I just destroyed everything. But the Patagonia ones had totally lasted. And I was like, fair play, Patagonia boots actually last. Like, good on you. And Gabe Davies, who's a surfer you should check out from the Northeast down Newcastle way, is in charge of the kind of surf category for Europe. And Gabe and me have got had a connection with a shop I used to work as a staff photographer for. Um, and we had a little chat and he was like, oh, mate, if you're around like we're testing the new wetsuits up in Scotland with the team. And I was like, Oh, all right, cool. And I was like, hung around and basically was living out the back of my van. Um, on this, they rented this big house and there was like a bunch of press were there. Chris McLean, the photographer I was talking about was there, was covering it for their magazine backwash. There was a few guys from the Nordic world. It was kind of like all the cold guys, um, a lovely um, Italian guy called Jacopo, And then I just kind of like, he was like, come along. Like, we haven't got any room for you, but you can stay in the van. I just hung out with them. And and so hung out with them and just really had a good laugh and took photos, ate, had the odd beer. And um, one of their staff members, uh, Chris Simpson, who's in head of the head of the digital team, we got on really good. We just had a laugh. And then a few months later, I got this call from a a Dutch lady called Rose going, hey, do you... uh, do you want to come and shoot Warnware? And I was like, what's Warnware? And then she's like, oh, or I actually didn't say that to her. I totally said I knew what it was. Um, and basically they've got this program where they repair clothing. Yep. And they've got an ironclad guarantee, which allows you to have your gear repaired within reason, you know, for a lifetime. And they had got this tiny house that they'd had built and a truck that we'd pull it, and they needed a photographer to document that journey and those stories. But it's not just a photography job. You know, you're taking in clothing. You're just there to set up. You're a crew. You're a team. It's, you know, like the, what is it? The Musketeers, one for all, all for one sort of thing. Yeah, you know, you've got to make it happen. All hands on deck. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's a brutal schedule. You can be on tour for 60 plus days. There's very little time off. There's a massive amount of travel. You are constantly packing your bag and, and not to say it's, oh, you know, woe is me. It's hard. You know, it's, it's full on. And I'm editing photos every evening, pulling stories together because if I get behind like a day, I'm slammed, you know, yeah. um, and then working with their digital team in Europe. So, you know, it was, it was a really interesting experience and a lot of stuff has happened in my life in that last couple of years, good and bad, you know, which were some of the things that, that pushed me to that breaking point in the pandemic when I got sent home. Um, I've met a lot of wonderful people. I've met a lot of very strong, challenging people working with that brand. 
And it's really taught me a lot about teamwork. It's taught me a lot about the the greater good or that that thing that you're doing. And also it highlighted to me how horrendous my environmental footprint is, which I'm working on, you know. And, you know, no one's perfect, as are Patagonia not perfect, and they'll happily say that, you know, like a really interesting thing to do. Will I work for them again? Will those events happen again? They might do. Will I do it? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's there's only so long you need to do those things, I think, sometimes. Well, it's a different world now too, isn't it? And it's a really good insight. And I think a lot of our listeners will appreciate that. So especially photographers, cinematographers, you know, beyond your traditional sort of bread and butter weddings and family portraits and that stuff that pays the bills, it's good to know that you can actually make a life as a creative yeah, these brands. I, I think a little thing to touch on there, there's two points I'd like to make is that also don't fascinate too much about brands and yeah. worry about that. Look at who you want to work with and why you want to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't put too many of these brands on pedestals. I think that can potentially divert you from the true course that you're maybe meant to take. And if you're really struggling and you're at that point where you're like, I'm like almost nailing it in my head. I'm, I want to get this. How do I take that next step? If you're already shooting some work for brands and, and stuff, I did some work with a fantastic woman called Christina Force, who is a photography mentor as such. She used to work for Saatchi and Saatchi, which is one of the largest global agencies. She also used to run her own photography agency. And Christina runs a thing called Bootcamp. And it's like, you know, Bootcamp, get paid to shoot what you love. And it's like, it literally does what it says on the tin. She will take all your images in like 300. She'll look through it from her eye and find your special sauce, find your kind of your recipe. And then through that online course with another like 14 photographers or 10 photographers as I had, she'll help you understand where to go, how to go, like all the bits that no one tells you. That's a cool concept. Oh, kind of, it is. I know a, lot, a few surf photographers that do that sort of informally, but if that's something you could do and pay for, excuse me, <clears throat> I have to check that out. What was her last name? Christina. And C- Christina Force. I definitely want to check that out. And to get that objective feedback too. Yeah, learn. I think a good point, maybe what, what I've learned is, is learn to take constructive criticism. Yep. Learn to, like the biggest thing that probably all of us struggle with, or I know I do is like our ego. Like we all have an ego that is just human. But when you start to look at that ego and understand when it's coming in and when it isn't, you know, that has really helped me with that. And life's not a competition. It's a collaboration. I I bang on about that a lot with my friends and people I work with. I like that. And one of the other things we talk about on the podcast a lot is, you know, income and taking the leap as a full-time creative. Has there been a monetary reward for Dawn Days or have you kept it not for profit and purely for passion? Yeah, so currently it is just for passion and and ultimately for me always will be for passion. Have I profited from it? I mean, yeah, I ended up getting a a commercial shoot, shooting water, because the director Deva had seen it and was like, man, I love this. Like we all need to make money and we all need to survive, but I don't want it to be some sort of commercial entity. We touched on mental health there before, Mike, actually. Yeah. Didn't really talk about your, are you actually dyslexic or? Oh, oh yeah. I am 
all worlds of dyslexic. Yeah, 100%. I got the. Oh, I got the, the, writing and reading, the numerical side. Um, when I was a kid, there was a visual thing where I, which I think is quite classic with people. I'd see something on the chalkboard, and I'd write it down back to front. So maybe that's part of the secret sauce for your creativity is dyslexia. I think you know what it actually is, and and I'm glad you've touched on it because. I was very lucky at a young age that I got picked up on that there was something was going on. My mum was really astute to that. Essentially, I think she's dyslexic. She's never been tested, but she knew something was up. And there was this one, well, there was a few people at school, but a lovely lady, Katrina, that helped me out. And then there was this guy, Dave Wheel, who's my computing teacher. The only thing I walked out of school with was a C in computing. And that is testament to that guy who turned around and saw something in me and saw the way that I was being treated in the school, even though it was a great school for mm-hmm. dyslexia. And he just disagreed. And he turned around to me and said, right, I'm going to teach you how to lead climb outdoors, traditional climbing. And we, cause he, he ran the, the climbing club. And I was like, would you do that? And he's like, kind of not meant to, but let's check with your parents. And he would also tutor me on a Sunday night. He did this all out of the goodness of his heart because he believed in me and I bumped into Dave recently. We still stay in contact. I bumped into him and it was just that moment where like I got to thank him like properly and be like, I just didn't realize what you did for me. And it's, it's something that I want to do more of. And I'm trying to do more of as a couple um, younger lads that I've kind of reached out to my friend, Jimmy, his son, Kieran's an amazing skier living in Canada. um, And just maybe needs a bit of a help with the radar of put some Mm. fins on his board. Where is he going? Um, and then there's another friend, Ben, young surfer, Ben Larg, you should check out. Unbelievable. He's just going through some rehab and just re- he, they're both dyslexic and, and reaching out to people. And I think that it's a superpower. Like, I know that yeah. maybe sounds a bit arrogant, but like, it's about reframing whatever thing that you're dealing with, whether it's mental or physical, is if we can reframe the way we look at this perceived issue or problem or trauma, you might find that that really helps. Now, it sounds easy. It's not. But if you start to become conscious and try and reframe things, you'd be amazed at what it does. And and dyslexia is a huge part. Like, I reckon there's like, on this film set, I reckon 50 plus percent are probably dyslexic. You know, right. it's huge in the creative realm. But it doesn't mean you just have to be creative. You know, yeah. I know politicians, there's businessmen. Look at like, God, oh, what's uh, Richard, Richard Branson. Branson? Yeah, it's probably the yeah, most popular like, one. Uh, you know, you'll find it. So if there's any dyslexics out there that want to reach in to me, have a chat. Yeah. It's something we've never talked about on the podcast before, dyslexia. So I hope some of our listeners found that useful. And yeah, reach out to Mike if you if you need to. And finally, Mike, I'm getting conscious of your time. Uh, we, only early in the morning for you. You probably got a stack of work to do. But just mental health. It's a it's an issue we don't like to talk about as men. And you know, it's a bit of a, as you said before, a bit woo woo. But for blokes that are struggling out there, that's especially after Corona, isolation, all the rest, yeah. what would be your number one piece of advice for blokes that just a bloke that's tuning in, even a lady as well? I mean, you know, mental health doesn't yeah. just discriminate, does it? So maybe uh, your number one tip for anyone that's struggling out there at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's a really interesting point because for me, maybe the, the thought is that I was searching for a silver bullet. I was searching for this one thing to give me peace and calm and clarity. But when I realized that I could look at a bunch of different things 
and start to build my own picture of what might help me and reaching out to some people. You know, the ACT therapy has been great for me. That that works for me. The working with Jana Johnston, Jana Johnston Healing Works, you know, has been great as well. You know, find what works for you. What works for one person might not work for you. And that is okay. And it might take time and it will take time. Uh, Mike, it's been awesome chatting to you. I think we it feels like the type of podcast where we could keep, just keep talking and talking and talking. We've covered so much. Where can we continue following your story? Awesome. You can check out my work on my website, which is mikeguest.co.uk. And we have a Dawn Days website, which is dawndays.com. So it's just D-A-W-N-D-A-Y-S.com. We'll put up some of those links on our show notes as well. And... Otherwise, awesome to chat. You can go to surfcoastcreatives.com and subscribe to our email list if you want to keep track of all our podcasts and our podcast with Mike as well. We'll be sending out an email, a dedicated email. Otherwise, Surf Coast Creatives on Facebook and Surf Coast Creatives on Instagram. We've also just set up a new community group on Facebook called Surf Coast Creatives Community. So really appreciate your time this morning for you, this afternoon for us. Uh, All the best for the rest of 2021 and thanks for chatting today. My pleasure. Total pleasure to chat with you, man. Thanks, Mike.